Hello, everyone. Thanks for tuning in. This is Danny. Join me as we go deep into God's Word, as we discover the hidden gems and hidden treasures that God has made available to us all if we would have but ears to hear and eyes to see. As you come with me on this journey, let's explore God's Word and see what He desires to show and tell us in our day. This may be your first time or the next time, but I welcome you here. Let's dig in and see what the Lord has for us today. Hey everyone, thanks for tuning in to the next episode, number 10. Uh, today we are going to find ourselves in Mark chapter 5. This is actually one of my favorite stories that we read. Um, it involves Jesus healing a demon-possessed man um, in uh, in the country of the Gerasenes, or some translations show the Gadarenes. Um, we see this story appear in more than just the Gospel of Mark, but um, sometimes that word gets gets um, demonstrated or reflected differently. Um, it would be as if you or I were speaking, um, different people were speaking relative to a city. We may uh, describe it to be particular of uh, adjacent to this place or near this place. So it can take many different shapes. However, um, anyways, it, it, it's, it's one of my favorite stories, and it's one of my favorite because of the, the sovereign desire of God to, to make an impact, even on one person, and the implications that one person can actually have on an entire region. And so it's just a, an exciting story. And so we're just going to discuss it, kind of unpack it. I'm going to point out some specifics that I want you to consider as I consider them as well. Uh, some I have answers for, some I don't, uh, but perhaps together we can go down a journey of what we can find below the surface um, as it relates to the revelation that God would have us to partake of. So I want to thank you for taking the time, uh, my friends here in, in and among the United States and those that we are discovering outside of the United States I thank you all for for coming, uh, for visiting alongside of us, and I hope this blesses you as we unpack it. So it's in Mark chapter 5. We're going to start reading. It says, they, they came to the other side of the sea. So we're talking about the disciples, uh, some of the disciples with Jesus, um, those who are documenting this story, and Jesus himself. Uh, they came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gerasenes. And when Jesus had stepped out of the boat immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit now unclean spirit it's communicated uh, in some in some portions of scripture it'll say an evil spirit sometimes it will say um, a person possessed um, by a spirit um, so it, it can reflect many times different ways but we are just uh, kind of describing and detailing uh, this same type of evil spirit that is um, kind of taken possession of, um, afflicting a particular individual. This individual, verse 3, says he lived among the tombs. This is 
This is his is his uh, abiding place among the tombs, and this is is it very true often of what um, the devil and, and and the demonic realm wants to do is that they want to keep us isolated from um, or in these um, in these places of um, a tomb can also. When we bury a loved one, a tomb is representative of, of, of. It's a memory, a place of remembrance, and so, not only do, um, do, the does the demonic realm want to keep us isolated from, but it also wants us to, to abide in or to live in this place of of memories of dead memories, and a lot of us can often get entangled in inside of those memories of of thinking of the days of of you know of yesterday of of the days that have been and we can get so um kind of um entombed in inside of those memories and it can and it can really drive us to this place of um affliction and oppression and and we can lack freedom in that in that place that we can find ourselves so it, he lived in this place among the tombs, and no one could bind him any more, not even with a chain, for he had often been bound with shackles and change, chains, but he wrenched or broke apart the chains, and he broke the shackles in pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him. So this, this section here tells us that no one could bind him anymore. So that tells us that he had... There was a time when they tried to bind him, try to keep him contained. They would um, try to kind of keep him um, behaving in a way that they deemed uh, suitable or to prevent him from behaving a certain way. So he had, they'd often tried to, to bind him, but over the course of some time, it had been clear that they had no strength to to keep him subdued so this man this possessed individual uh, has the capacity for strength beyond that which he naturally could have and this begs the question to me we associate um, the the realm of darkness, the, the demonic um, realm, we associate this strength that they can possess in a person. This is, the, this is indeed the actual man, the physical human man who had physical human muscles and um, bones and ligaments and all these things. He, he was a physical man, but he had a supernatural ability as it relates to strength. And we can often get impressed, in a sense, with the ability of those who are encompassed in, in darkness, in, in the demonic, but we often forget that as Christ is in us, to what degree can by the Spirit of God, can we 
do things, perform things, um, kind of engage our lives in a way that that same degree and even greater of of uh, supernatural manifestation, you know, Christ in us is the hope of glory. And if the if the realm of darkness can produce a, in some sense, awe-inspiring product, how much greater can the kingdom of God make an impact than than the kingdom of darkness? So I, I would just, I kind of um, am challenged by that to not be impressed with with what um, with what the devil can produce, because we can, as Christians, followers of Christ. Um, we can produce an even greater measure in the physical by the supernatural empowering of God through His Spirit. So no one could bind Him, not even with a chain. He had been bound with shackles and chains, but He often broke them apart and in pieces. No man, no one could subdue Him. Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and bruising himself with stones. Um, in depending on the the date of the translation, I'm currently reading out of the English Standard Version, the ESV. There is also a version in the ESV that uses the word "cutting himself." So night and day. So this is always, constantly, among the tombs and on the mountains. He was always crying out. He was crying and cutting himself with stones. This is something that I want us to really take a minute and digest because it's, I believe it is very important and it's a spiritual reality the Lord showed me just recently here in this behavior. This possessed, this afflicted, this oppressed man who um, we find is crying out and cutting himself. I believe that behavior, this, you know, as you picture him in tears, crying out, cutting himself. This is a behavior that we see even in our day. This self-affliction, self-mutilation, self-harm. Um, sure, in this day we don't use stones. This man was didn't have access to certain equipment that we have in our day. But um, the behavior presents itself in the same fashion. There is this, this crying, this depth of his of his soul, of his being, that is, um, is distraught, is um, just pouring himself out in sadness. There's a the, there is a all-encompassing sadness and kind of desperation, this loneliness, and he's and he is cutting himself, and so we find this behavior in our day of people. Who cut themselves, and and although there can be many causes of this type of behavior, I believe 
that it is a spiritual behavior. Um, I, because I am not, um, you know, I have possess a lot of knowledge in this arena, I, I won't speak on it to um, kind of all-encompassing, but uh, I am told that some individuals, they do this um, as it um as it relates to feeling pain or feeling things or 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 how they process pain or hurt and um, but I will just say that I truly believe that what God showed me here in this reality for this this demoniac this person um p- possessed by what we'll find out a legion of demons is this behavior of cutting themselves is a spiritual one. And so if if anyone listening to this presently or who would listen to it in the future, if you find yourself in this place of um, you are participating in, in this type of cutting behavior, um, I would just, I, I pray that that God would deliver you from that spirit of affliction that, that seeks to do you personal harm and so I just pray that that God would remove that obstacle from your life. Um, I, I, I pray for deliverance um, from that affliction, from that spirit that is seeking to cause you harm. And, and I just declare deliverance over your heart and soul in Jesus' name. And, and so he, he is crying out and he is cutting himself. And when Jesus saw and when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him. This is, to me, such a beautiful echo of every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. And and not only that, but we see there maybe is something even inside this man who is so encompassed with this demonic presence that but something in him recognizes the weight of of glory that is present in front of him and so he ha- he responds in a way that that is all he knows what to do and so he sees him and he and he and he rushes to him and he falls down before him and crying out with a loud voice he said now before we continue here, I want you to really pay close attention. This struck me the other day is as we read, notice the transition back and forth from singular to plural or from plural to singular. So words like I versus we, me versus us. These types of transitions I want you to pay close attention to and consider as the word as you read the words who is speaking from what perspective is you know is are these words coming from um and and kind of track with at, at the very least notice the difference and and perhaps we can discover something unique about that shift between singular plural i versus we um me versus us And crying out with a loud voice, he said, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I adjure you 
by God. Do not torment me. Now, this is kind of a strange word that we don't oftentimes use um, or much less um, read, but adjure kind of takes a couple different shapes. We see it um, obviously here in Mark 5, 7, and in Mark, it's often translated as implore or beg. I beg you by God, do not torment me. We see it again, though, in um, Matthew 26, I believe it's 63, and then we see it also in Acts 19.13. And in Acts, there are some itinerant Jewish exorcists, and they, they undertook to in, invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, I adjure you by the Lord Jesus whom Paul pre, uh, proclaims or preaches. Now, in that in Acts, we translate or it's translated adjure as exercise or command. Now, you'll quickly can notice, well, those are, those are very two different um, proclamations. One is to, I beg you, and one is to command you. Kind of polar opposite ideas. But oftentimes that word is used in, in, the, same, in the same manner. The word adjure is translated the, both of those particular ways. Now, we, we obviously know that the demonic realm has no authority to command Jesus whom being God in flesh, he, the demonic realm has no authority to command Jesus to do anything. And something unique in Acts 19, these Jewish exorcists are actually, they're using, they're using the name of Jesus to cast out evil spirits. Now, if you continue reading through some of that, you'll find the story of um, the sons of Sceva and and how they were attempting to do this, and they quickly learned um, that the the demonic realm did not know who they were and had no fear over their authority, and they were overcome, overpowered and significantly harmed. So um, we do find that. Um, and and I think there is a reality uh, to learn inside of that from the perspective of begging. We see those um, exorcists, in essence, asking the spirits to come out in the name of, by the name of Jesus, whom Paul preaches. And so it is, it is, a, I believe, a significant thing to grasp that there are kind of this two component aspect of this adjure. I beg you, I ask you. And then there's another one I mentioned in Matthew 20, 
26 and at 63, we find Jesus is standing before the high priest. And, and the high priest stood up and said to him, to Jesus, have you no answer? What is it that they testify against you? But Jesus was silent. Then the high priest said to him, I put you under oath before the living God. He's, he's also in that says, I adjure you by the living God. Tell us if you are the Messiah. So he's not in that capacity saying, I beg you. He's using authority and in, in a sense commanding him. Now Jesus responds as he um as he sees fit in the rest of that in verse 64 and then gives to them a revelation of who he is as the son of man seated at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven this this whole Daniel revelation of the son of man you know it's very significant this is why he tears his clothes and and calls this blasphemy so um so I just want you to kind of to chew on that that idea of this adjuring I um, this perspective of begging or asking and then this perspective of exercising your authority and I think that is that is absolutely what we have to to um, to practice in terms of our spiritual authority as agents or representatives of of Jesus Christ we have spiritual authority over the demonic realm and the disciples when you know when coming back from their from their mission they were celebrating that the um that the spirits the unclean spirits the the, the demonic spirits would um would obey them and Jesus said don't celebrate because they do what you say celebrate that your names are written in the lamb's book of life and you know it's this thing that we shouldn't marvel at that they submit to the name that we represent there's I, i've spoke on this before but but in the name of it's more than just saying the phrase in the name of jesus but we are declaring that we are agents of representant like we're representative agents of that that's that's the essence behind the in the name of Jesus. And so we find here that he that this this possessed man um, runs up to falls before Jesus and asks, "What do you what do you have to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I adjure you. I beg you, do not torment me." For he was saying to him, Jesus was saying to him. Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And Jesus asked him, verse 9, What is your name? Now this is the one time that I can find where Jesus actually demonstrates this, um, this idea of what is your name? And we see this practiced quite often now in, in some of our, you know, in some of the standard practices as it relates to the exorcism. There's this, there's this um, inquiry during exorcism many times of identifying who you're speaking to. Now, there, there can be value inside of it because it helps to address the 
the approach or, or what your target is, but also keeping in mind that the demonic um, realm demons are lying spirits. Um, so we do not invest um, our trust in these um, evil spirits, but at the same time, it is something that Jesus did in one occasion, and so we always want to make sure that we keep our pursuits, our efforts aligned with who, what, and how Jesus did things. Um, and so Jesus asks him, what is your name? He replied, now, again, keep track with the singular plural perspective. Jesus asked him, what is your name? He replied, my name is Legion, for we are many. And he begged him, Jesus, earnestly not to send them out of the country. Now a great herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside, and they begged him, saying, and they begged him, Jesus, saying, send us to the pigs. Let us enter them. So you see where there is a lot of transition between they, them, he, we. Um, that's more a thought that I want to leave you with as, as I don't have um, the, the exact the exactness of what of what that means or what that brings to the table, um, just simply an observation. Um, but one thing that I do want to p- point out, and this is a thought that I have never actually had before, is when Jesus asks the spirit, what is your name? He replied, my name is Legion. Now, um, we know that um, Legion refers to a a number of um, demons, and t- typically speaking, a, a legion about in two thousand, um, and there's some very some vari- variety there. But um, we do see on into the story there is a herd of pigs about two thousand in number that um, become afflicted with these demonic spirits, and they they come to their demise, but. Um, what I want to point out is that as we see here in this reality, as they, as they speak of their name, what is your name? And he says, my name is Legion, for we are many. I believe that unclean spirits, evil spirits, are named by dysfunction and that they don't have individual identity. Now, um... Let me just kind of preface all this with um, I do not have experience in exorcism. Um, this is this is purely what I believe to be special insight that the Lord has given me. Um, but as I am still learning and navigating these waters, um, I don't pretend to have all the answers, nor do I believe that um, that as as I grow and develop. Obviously, things will um, develop as I understand what the Lord is teaching. But um, as it stands now, I'm not an authority on the matter uh, by any means. 
but I, I just want to share what I believe the Lord shared with me regarding this. But he's, but I believe I believed him to say that unclean spirits are named by their dysfunction, that they don't have individual identity. Things that um, that I have that I have seen before show the demonic spirits when they identify themselves. They identify themselves by these different um, even emotions by uh, they identify themselves as anger or hate or uh, murder or all these different things lust envy um, here the identification that is given is my name is legion so it's a general um, a general identity it's different than to say it'd be like if you or I were interacting with a person and we said, um, excuse me, sir, what is your name? And they are to say, um, my name is People. Well, when in reality, we expect him to say, my name is Bill. See, that's an individual. Uh, it's a singular identity. But I believe that the um, evil spirits are not permitted to have an individual identity. They're named by their dysfunction. I believe that they lost the grace to have singular identity because they are no longer connected to God. When we are connected to God, we are permitted to have a singular identity. Now, this isn't this isn't to say that our identity is 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 completely isolated. Um, our identity can only be and always must be based on, on the work that Jesus accomplished, who we are connected to the Father, to God. Never isolated. But, but there, I believe, is a grace for us to have a unique identity and it's something that I believe the, the demonic realm is not permitted to have. Even we see this um, within, within you know, Satan himself. When, he, when he, we first read of his story um, out beyond the garden, we, we know that he was a created and angelic being named Lucifer. And he had a particular identity, and he had a particular role. But when he let pride consume his heart, and then he exercised his free will, yes, even, even angels have free will. We, that has to be the case, because God created angels, and they had particular roles and functions. We know Michael, we know Gabriel, we know Michael, this warring angel, we know Gabriel, this messenger angel of God. They and then and then Lucifer, who who started as Lucifer, who had a you know, was a, a covering cherub, but had a particular function inside of God's created kingdom. But when he let pride um let pride come in and he wanted to ascend be up uh beyond and above the throne of God, then we know that God dealt with that, did not permit that, and he cast him out of his presence. And um, 
And so from, from where he was as Lucifer, he then gets renamed Satan or the devil. And, you know, the word Satan, the word devil, they have meanings behind them, you know, accuser and, and, and various meanings. But his identity of who he was, he gets renamed a, a name that possesses, um, it lacks gen- a, a individual identity. Now, we, we obviously, when we say Satan, when we say the devil, we know individually who we're speaking of, but, but I believe that renaming from Lucifer to Satan or devil is, is a withdrawal of his singular or individual identity because of the withdrawal of grace that, that God um, took from those who would who freely followed after Lucifer and who were ultimately cast out of the presence of God and doomed to eternal punishment in hell that was created for uh, Satan and his followers. It says that in the Bible it says hell is not created for man. It was created for Satan and his his following uh, demonic angels. That tells us that um, that it's not God's will for any to perish because the punishment, the judgment, does is not part of or is not intended for man. So it's 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 this beautiful that's there. There's a beautiful reality there that it's not God's will that any should perish. So uh, just reinforcing that. Um, that unclean spirits are named by their dysfunction and they are not permitted to have singular identity like when we are connected to God via or by Jesus Christ. Um, And so we'll continue reading. And he begged earnestly not to send them out of the country. In verse 11, now a great herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside, and they begged him, saying, Send us to the pigs, let us enter them. So he, Jesus, gave them permission, and the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs, and the herd, numbering about 2,000, rushed down the steep bank into the sea and were drowned in the sea. The last thing that I want to leave you with is another I believe unique insight into a a spiritual reality, um, and in this case, I think a kind of a um, kind of limits or parameters. So in Genesis six, verse five, it says, "The Lord saw that that the wickedness of mankind was great in the earth, and that every inclination of the thoughts of their hearts." was only evil continually. And the Lord was sorry that he had made mankind on the earth, and it grieved him to his heart. So the Lord said, I will blot out from the earth the human beings I have created, people together with animals and creeping things and birds of the air. So notice those, the the people, the animals and creeping things, 
and birds of the air, for I am sorry that I have made them. But Noah found favor in the sight of the Lord. We'll, we'll kind of fast forward down to verse 17. God says, For my part, I am going to bring a flood of waters on the earth to destroy from under heaven all flesh, in which is the breath of life. Everything that is on the earth shall die. So, we see that when the pigs, here in this example in Mark 5, the evil spirits are permitted to enter into the pigs. There is also, and I can't remember the, the passage, you, you might could look it up, um, is where um, when, when Moses is encountering Pharaoh and all these all the plagues are occurring there is an element of um where there's a an, a a plague of frogs and there's a scripture that that speaks of um these like demonic spirits like frogs i do i, I believe that and as we see here, if you ask the question in verse 17, he, God said he is going to destroy under heaven all flesh, which is the breath of life or which has the breath of life. Now, a question that I asked in that is what about the fish? And... Now, if you just picture for a moment, um, picture for a moment, as the earth begins to flood, the, the ground opens up and waters from the deep come rushing up, rain from heavens pouring down, so the earth is filling with water, and we know that, in, you know, the Bible says that, that the water level rose above the mountains, above the tallest mountains, the ark of God was lifted up above the whole earth and everything that was on land that had had air in its that breathed air in its lungs was uh, was put to death except those in the ark um, fish in the water this actually would have increased their kind of their surface area with all this water. Now, you know, obviously there are animals that need salt water to live, and if they were in fresh water, they wouldn't, and vice versa. Um, however, that aside, and obviously, too, when the water, when the flood waters um, kind of reside and they, they go back to normal, they'll, I'm sure there would have been a lot of fish on the ground uh, that didn't make it back into their their original habitation, and so naturally they would have lacked the water to breathe through the gills and produce the necessary oxygen that they needed to. So there would have been many fish deaths. Um, however, um, the judgment was specific to those that would breathe air, and. I began to ask a question in my heart regarding this. 
you know, what is the significance of, you know, why was that, that judgment specific to the certain, you know, humanity who breathes air and the certain creatures who breathe air, the land-dwelling animals, and, and obviously the birds of the air, they breathe air. Um, I believe that, and and I can and I believe that I can that I can kind of prove this out a little uh, to the best that I can in um, in Matthew twelve forty three through forty five, but I believe that um, it was specific to land dwelling or air breathing creatures because that is whom that unclean spirits can possess. Um, I, I do not believe that, um, and, and we don't see any biblical examples of, of sea creatures, of, of you know, water creatures, fish, being possessed by unclean spirits. And, and as I begin to take that take that kind of reality and chew on it a bit more, I believe it's specific to Matthew 12, 43 through 45. And so that it says this. So this is um, speaking of a, when an unclean spirit leaves a person, um, some of those, some of that progression. And it says, when the unclean, Jesus is saying this, when the unclean spirit has gone out of a person, it wanders through waterless regions looking for a resting place but it finds none. Then it says, I will return to my house from which I came. When it comes, it finds it empty, swept, and put in order. Then it goes and brings along seven other spirits more evil than itself, and they enter and live there. And the last state of, a, of that person is worse than the first. So, when a when an unclean spirit, when an evil spirit is in a person, it finds this resting place, and and that's that's a picture of the of the demonic aspect. But not only if we look at and if we see that from the kingdom of God perspective, this this a similar thing happened when Jesus was baptized. The heavens parted, they opened, and the Spirit of God descended like a dove, and it rested on Jesus and remained. So, so Jesus, it embodying the resting place of the Holy Spirit, so too can a a individual become a resting place for the demonic or evil spirits, and. And I believe that's what this text shows us is that a a person can become a resting place for an evil spirit, but when it is sent out of a person, it says it has to it says it wanders through waterless that's arid or dry regions looking for a resting place. I believe that as part of punishment for their their insolence their uh you know their attempts to sabotage and overthrow part of their punishment is this um you know water 
gives a a a place of a refreshment, a renewal. When when you're thirsty, a drink of water is a satisfaction. Um, you get a satisfaction out of it that you can't find anywhere, you know, in any other way. Water, water, when you're extremely thirsty, does something for you, and and I believe that that um, evil spirits are not permitted to partake of that satisfaction that water brings, and because they wander through waterless regions, I believe that they are not permitted to enter into. Um, that environment, that water environment where we find sea creatures um, like, um, you know, that we find sea creatures in. So I believe that the judgment that was poured out on humanity in the flood, it did not include the sea creatures because they did not, there was... um, Maybe I could say a, an innocence or a um, unavailability to um, to the influence of evil um, due to the nature of where they are and where they reside and the fact that they cannot um, partake of that environment. Um. So, when we see these these pigs um, getting possessed, the pigs go crazy, rush down this steep bank into the sea, and they are drowned. Now, we don't know anything else about what happens to the region as it relates to those demons, and we know that those demons actually end up begging not to be sent um, to the abyss or this place of torment. Um, So, at the end of this story, the people are so um, impacted by the effect that Jesus had, and they're so startled, and I I would presume they, they aren't sure what to make of it all. They actually beg Jesus to leave their region. And, you know, there could be a lot of factors in this. I mean, 2,000, at least 2,000 pigs were um, brought to the end of their life. And, you know, they, they could be frustrated. They could have been um, scared, afraid. They could have been complacent with the way things were. There's a lot of, there's a lot of factors here. And um, I think in another video rather another uh, recording i'm going to maybe unpack some of these people the gadarenes and the implications of where they were and some of their heritage um could illustrate some of their behavior in asking jesus to leave them so um and a, and a kind of a clue in this think of old testament um mosaic redistribution of the land, the territory. Um, Gad, Reuben, and the half-tribe of Manasseh. So this is Numbers 32, just foreshadowing. Um, So um, 
kind of ultimately and in conclusion, Jesus interacts with this freed man now who is clothed and in his right mind. Um, and people are just um, in shock uh, at the very least. They were afraid, it says in verse 15. But this this now delivered man wants to go with Jesus. He actually begged Jesus that he could go with him. And you think of all the people that should be able to go with Jesus and spend some time with him now in this in his newly delivered state, you would think this man should qualify. But Jesus did not permit him to, but said, go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. When he went away and began to go to proclaim in the Decapolis, so this is the, the region of the ten towns, the ten cities, how much Jesus had done for him, and everyone marveled. So I'm just truly encouraged by the the impact that this encounter has, not only on one individual who Jesus uh, gladly leaves the 99 for the one, but not only on this individual, but then the effect that this individual has on a whole region um, to the kingdom and glory of God. So I would just encourage us to, to have an ear to hear the the Lord's prompting, the moving. Um, be confident in the authority that you have in Christ and to operate in His um, in His direction, in obedience, and then realize that the, that the 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 kingdom of of the enemy has no choice but to submit to the authority of God and his leadership and his sovereignty. So thanks for taking the time uh, to unpack this out of Mark 5 and I hope it was a blessing and I would just encourage you if you find yourself listening and you have yet to surrender your heart to Jesus, I would say, uh, today is the day. Uh, tell him that you you desire to be in relationship with him, to fellowship with him, that you surrender um, your desires, that you want him to sit on the throne of your heart and life, and that you want to come under his leadership, and you you turn from your old life, and you let it be put to death, and you walk in the fullness and newness of life with him. And and he will resurrect you uh, to be born again in the Spirit of God. And you will begin the journey. You will begin the journey of walking with him in fellowship as he speaks to you and ministers to you and uses you as a outlet for his uh, glory. So I bless you. Until next time, be blessed. Thanks for joining me. I hope this blessed your heart and you leave with something special. Let us press in to know Him more. Let us press in to know Him more. And He will find us in seeking and seek us in finding. God bless you.